I'm Mark Beattie, I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. In this podcast, I'm going to cover some of the content from the January edition of the journal. The first article I'd like to cover relates to the management of Kawasaki's disease. Kawasaki's disease is an acute self-limiting inflammatory disorder associated with vasculitis affecting predominantly middle-sized arteries, particularly the coronary arteries. It affects 8 per 100,000 children under the age of 5 in the UK and is the commonest cause of acquired heart disease in children in developed countries. The etiology is unknown and felt to reflect an infective trigger including an inflammatory response in a genetically susceptible host. Genetic studies have identified susceptibility genes and genes that influence the response to treatment. So in this issue, Eleftherio and colleagues discuss the recent advances in the etiology and their impact on treatment. So the use of IVIG and aspirin is well established. What the authors discuss is the use of corticosteroids and monoclonal antibody therapies in severe cases and treatment-resistant cases, and include in their article discussion of scoring systems at presentation which predict the response to treatment. This is an excellent, thorough, up-to-date review of Kawasaki's disease, and in it there's up-to-date guidance which puts the advances in etiology and management in context, advocates multi-centre research looking at treatment and outcome, and is really essential reading for clinicians who diagnose, assess and manage this condition. The second article I'd like to cover relates to the prevalence of thinness. So this is interesting because much is written about the international obesity epidemic, but less and less attention has been paid to the prevalence of thinness and whether this has changed. So in this issue, Smith and colleagues describe the prevalence and year-on-year trends of childhood thinness between 1970 and 2006 in northeast Scotland. They use measurements taken by school nurses at school entry. So using the International Obesity Task Force definitions, and that is grade one corresponding to the adult BMI of less than 18.5 kilograms per meter squared, and grade two corresponding to less than 17 kilograms per meter squared, the prevalence of thinness fell over the 26 years studied, grade one falling from 6.5% in 1970 to 4.8% in 2006, and grade 2 falling from 5.2% to 1.3%. So interesting, thinness grade 2, that's the most severe thinness, was initially less prevalent in the more affluent communities, although this difference disappears after 1990. The third article I'd like to cover relates to swaddling and hip dysplasia. So there has been a resurgence of infant swaddling because of the perceived palliative effect on excessive crying and colic and promoting sleep. So what's swaddling? Swaddling involves binding or bundling babies in blankets with the arms restrained and the lower limbs extended and pressed together. In this issue, Professor Clark, Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery, advises caution 
he describes the well-recognised link between infant swaddling and developmental dysplasia of the hip, confirmed in many studies and replicated in experimental animals. And what he says that, in essence, in order to allow for healthy hip development, legs should be able to bend up and out at the hips. This is a profoundly important public health message. The article is essential reading for all paediatricians and for those who market commercial swaddling products. The fourth article I'd like to cover relates to trends in resting pulse rates and actually begs the question as to whether our children are getting less fit. So resting pulse rate is an important indicator of physical fitness and cardiovascular health, positively associated with obesity. In this issue, Peters and colleagues use cross-sectional data from five population-based studies, that's 22,000 children aged 9 to 11, to examine trends in resting pulse rates between 1980 and 2008. They found that mean resting pulse rate was higher for girls than boys, that's 82 versus 78, and that during the study period, the mean pulse rate increased by 0.07 beats per minute per year for boys and 0.04 beats per minute for girls. This equates to an increase in 2 and 1 beats per minute respectively over the whole study period. The authors feel that this is only partially accounted for by the increase in BMI over the same period, the data's in the paper. The trends, therefore, are real, and the public health implications for future cardiovascular risk are discussed in the accompanying editorial. The final article that I'd like to cover relates to neuropathic pain in childhood. So this is an important issue and it's discussed in a comprehensive review by Richard Howard and colleagues. Neuropathic pain is pain due to a lesion or disease of the somatosensory nervous system. It's difficult to diagnose in childhood, although can affect very young children. Causes include traumatic injury, complex regional pain syndrome, cancer and chemotherapy, chronic infection, neurological and metabolic disease, and inherited sensory nerve dysfunction. The different causes are discussed in detail. Diagnosis, assessment and treatment are largely based on adult data. Treatment options are limited. Drug therapy is often empirical and unsatisfactory. Tricyclics and the gabinopentoids are the most often used. Many other treatment options are available, although many with significant toxicity or low therapeutic indices. These patients can be very difficult to manage. The article is very helpful to clinicians who see this patient group, and there is certainly a need for more research. I'd like to finish by highlighting some of the content from Fetal and Neonatal this month. This relates to the unintended consequences of new guidance from the UK National Screening Committee and Fetal Anomaly Screening Programme. It relates to the interpretation of soft markers at the prenatal ultrasound and decision-making around whether full karyotype testing or fish testing is indicated when trisomies are suspected.
The issues raised are discussed in an accompanying editorial with the appropriate title of Antenatal Screening for Down Syndrome and Other Chromosomal Abnormalities, an Increasingly Complex Issue. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. Thanks for listening.